Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Let's go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 2 in our Romans booklets. Once again, if you want to grab a book, they're out in the narthex by the mailboxes. Or you can open up your pew Bible to page 940. We'll pick up from where we left off last week in chapter 2 of Romans, starting at verse 12, and we'll read to verse 29. So, the Apostle Paul writes, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision a matter of the heart, by the spirit, and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is God's word for us today. So, I don't normally give my sermons titles, but if I could give my sermon a title today, it would be The Wrong Way and the Right Way to Approach Judgment Day. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. Certainly an important topic if that's all coming for us sooner or later. Now, just to catch everybody up to speed, the Apostle Paul is right in the middle of this court case aimed at all of humanity. Uh, He's basically showing that all people, Jew and Gentile, those who have the law and those who don't have the law, are under sin and under God's wrath. He's doing the, the work of diagnosing us as sinners so that everybody who 
agrees with the diagnosis can find healing by placing their faith in the only one who can make us righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's good news for you and me because one day all of us here today will stand before God in judgment. This day of judgment is what Paul's talking about in verses 12 and 13. Let's go ahead and read verses 12 and 13 together. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So right there in verse 12, we have a reference to the day of God's judgment. Verse 12, he says, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So go ahead and if you have something to write with, go ahead and circle that word judged. And then go ahead and go down to verse 16 and circle the word judges, as in, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, I want to wrestle with that word judge or judgment a little bit because I have a feeling that we wrestle with that word, right? We have a problem with it. Maybe it makes us feel uncomfortable. So, for example, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tim preached on the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Not very popular, right? Nobody's going to name their church Wrath of God Lutheran Church, right? And in the same way, nobody's going to name their church like Judgment of God Lutheran Church. Probably not. Now, for one reason, I think we don't really like that whole idea of God's judgment because it comes off to us as negative. We might say, come on, God, positive vibes only, right? None of this judgment stuff. But isn't it true that there's a lot of stuff that has gone on in this world and a lot of stuff that is going on in this world that you want God to decisively say no to? Would you agree with that? I hope so, right? There are things we want God to decisively intervene and say no to. But here's the thing. If we have any level of self-awareness, we have to admit that there's plenty of actions and attitudes in us that God should really say no to. We may not like the idea of God's judgment because it hits too close to home. We don't like the idea of being accountable for our actions, and so we often deny or we flee the judgment of God. We say, that's not my religion. Let's get that out of there. Just tell me about the love of God, none of this judgment stuff. But here's the thing. I believe that we believe in judgment more than we think we do. In order for any community to exist, there must be judgment. In fact, all communities, if they value or they love something, they must, to some degree, judge. I mean, whether it be people for the ethical treatment of animals, or a homeowners association, or a political party, for that group to exist, and have some integrity or some values, they have to say no to some things and yes to others. Like, I couldn't show up to a PETA meeting in my hunter camo and bring deer jerky that I made. Like, that, they would just say, you can leave, right? Because I'm violating the values of the community. Um, I think a good example of that recently is the Olympics. Anybody stay up too late the last two weeks watching the Olympics every night? Nobody? Just me? Okay. 
Um, you know, those who run the Olympics and those who compete in the Olympics, they value fierce and fair competition by the best athletes in the world. That's what makes it the Olympics. But what happens when a country, Russia, decides that they're going to give their athletes banned substances, right? What happens? Well, for one, there's, there's some judgment that takes place, right? This is why we have the Russian Olympic Committee, right? That's a slap on the wrist. It's a judgment because of uh, the uh, doping that went on, the state-sponsored doping in Russia. Did anybody watch the figure skating? Kind of overtakes primetime uh, figure skating. And did you notice the way that the Olympians, so Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, these are people who fairly won Olympic medals. Did you notice the, the way that they responded to the Russian Olympian Kamila Valieva when she skated? So if you don't know, she tested positive for a banned substance. And, you know, really, I think the finger should be pointed at the adults, right? Because she's just 15 years old. Um, but did you notice how they responded to that? They responded with judgment. They said, no comment. She shouldn't have even skated. See, our culture, our society believes in judgment. We do. Um, it's part of valuing something. Now, let's go ahead and apply this to God and his kingdom. We know from the scriptures that God is love. It's only the Christian faith, by the way, of all the religions that claims that God is love. We might like to quote that verse from 1 John, God is love, and we might even quote it against the idea of God judging. Like, I could never believe in a God who would judge. Give me the God of love, but none of this judgment stuff. No thanks. That's out of style. But if God is love, if that's what he values in his community, his kingdom, and, and not our version of love, but I mean like God's love, like self-sacrificial, self-giving love. If that's what God values then that means naturally that nothing hateful or self-seeking or unloving can enter his kingdom. God has to say no to that. And that's not because God's mean or unreasonable or exclusive. It's just because God is God. He doesn't change. So let's recognize that we actually do believe in judgment and we actually should believe in judgment. Now, not that kind of judgment that Pastor Tim was preaching against last week. That sin, that deplorable sin of judgment in which we pridefully are blinded to our own sin and we look down on others and we think we're better. No, not that kind of judgment. But let's recognize as true and unavoidable what we say in the creed each week. Did you know you say that you believe in God's judgment every week in the creeds? He will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. We just said it a couple moments ago. It's the clear teaching of the Old and the New Testaments, Jesus, Paul, all the other apostles. You just can't get around it. So now let's go back to verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul is referencing God's judgment, but there's two other words that we need to understand if we're going to grasp what Paul is saying about the day of God's judgment and the whole message of Romans as well. The first word is law. So go ahead and circle or underline that word law in verses 12 and 13. In that, those two short verses, 
Paul uses the word law six times. I'm not going to ask you to underline it every time in our reading today because Paul uses the word 21 times in those 18 verses. That'd be too much work. Now, it's important to define this word law because it's central to Paul's message in Romans. Uh, the word law goes back to a Hebrew word, Torah. Anybody heard that word, Torah? It, it means teaching or instruction. And so, in a wide sense, Torah or law can mean the first five books of Moses in the Bible. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Torah, the law. It's the story of God creating the world and calling Abraham and making a covenant with Israel and rescuing them out of slavery, giving them his commandments, and then bringing them to the promised land. That's the Torah. That's the law. But in a more narrow, focused sense, the word law or Torah means the specific commandments that God gave to his people. And that's almost always how Paul uses that word. So think law equals commandments. Law equals thou shalt and thou shalt not. Now, we heard ten of these laws in our Old Testament reading today. These ten commandments are part of 613 commandments given to Israel through Moses. You know, it's interesting. God gave to Israel ten commandments, and then they broke them. And so he gave them more commandments and more commandments and more commandments. It's like the less righteous people are, the more commandments they need. That's kind of what we see happen in the Old Testament. So eventually, it gets to be 613 commandments given to Israel through Moses. Now, some of these commandments are moral commandments that apply to all people of all time. So just because they're in the Old Testament doesn't mean they don't apply to you and me. Nobody would say, oh, you know, don't murder. That's just an Old Testament thing. You don't need to worry about that, right? We wouldn't say that. Uh, some of those commandments are moral, meaning they apply to all people of all time, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are, they apply to you. So, for example, Paul references the seventh commandment, you shall not steal, and the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery in verses 21 and 22 in our reading. You who say you shouldn't steal, do you steal? That's the moral law. But other laws were specific to Israel, and they no longer apply to you or me as Christians. This is why I ate bacon yesterday, um, because the law doesn't apply to me. It's been fulfilled in Christ. These are civil or ceremonial laws that served a purpose for a time. They were put in place to guard Israel and keep them unique and distinct from all the other nations. They pointed toward Christ, but they are now fulfilled in Christ. So, for example, Paul references the right of circumcision in verses 25 to 29. That was an Old Testament sign or like an Old Testament sacrament it was a visible expression of God's grace and His covenant, which has now been replaced by the Christian sacrament of holy baptism. Just like the, uh, the sign of Passover, we don't do Passover anymore, it's been replaced by the Lord's Supper. So these other civil or ceremonial commands related to foods and temple and all these things have all been replaced and fulfilled in Christ, and so we are no longer accountable for them. The main point is this, is that that's what Paul means by law. He's talking about commandments. Now, the second word we need to understand is the word justified. Go ahead and underline that word in verse 13, justified. That is one of the most important words in Romans. In fact, Martin Luther said this is the most important word in Christian theology, that the church rises or stands on our understanding of what it means to be justified. 
Paul says, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, this word is closely related to the word righteous. In fact, the word righteous and justified shares the same root in Greek. So if you're reading it in Greek, righteous and just and justified and justification, they all look the same. They all have the same root. And so you might just want to draw an arrow from justified over to righteous. So you know those things connect. If you got time, you could do that with the whole book of Romans later today. If anybody does that for real, tell me. I'll be happy about that. Um, Now somebody's going to do it, right? So uh, what does this mean? Simply put, to be justified is to be declared not guilty. Or put more positively, to be justified means to be declared righteous in the right. It means the opposite of condemnation. It means that you are in God's kingdom, not excluded from God's kingdom. In fact, to be justified is a courtroom word. And so when the scriptures say that one is justified, it means that you are not guilty, innocent. That's what justified means. Everybody's awake now. Let's keep going. So now we know what these words mean. We know what law means. We know what justified means. Let's read verses 12 and 13 again so we can have a better understanding of what Paul's saying. Let's read it together again. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, I want you to see how these three words, judged, law, and justified, all connect. Paul's saying that God has a day in which he will judge all people according to his standards, and it will be the ones who keep the law that will be pronounced righteous or not guilty by God the judge. Now, we've got to hold on for just a second to clarify something, and you see Paul's clarifying this for us. What about the Gentiles, the non-Jewish nations, the Greeks, the Romans? They didn't have God's law. They didn't have all those laws in the Torah given to them. So does that mean they get a pass? Like, hey, I didn't know anything about this you shouldn't murder thing. I get a pass? No. Paul says the Gentiles don't get a pass because although they don't have the written law of God, God has written it on their hearts, in their conscience. Let's go ahead and read verses 14, or yeah, 14 and 15 together. Ready? For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So in other words, even though the Gentiles didn't have the Ten Commandments written out for them, from the hand of Moses, God wrote the Ten Commandments upon their hearts. Everybody has laws about respecting life and respecting authorities and elders and respecting property and reputation. So there will be no valid excuses on the day of judgment that I didn't know. Paul's saying that through creation and through our conscience, we know there's a God and we know that we're accountable to certain standards. Now let's move on to verse 17 and following. 
It's here that we're going to see the wrong way to use the law, which is also the wrong way to approach the judgment day, okay? I'll just go ahead and read this, but pay careful attention to the word law again. So 17 through 24, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, did you catch the problem here, the misuse of the law? Did you catch it? Go ahead and circle the word boast in verses 17 and 23. Verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So here's the wrong way to approach the day of God's judgment. The wrong way is by boasting in anything other than Jesus Christ crucified and risen. That's the wrong way. Now, Paul is pointing out that some Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They boasted that they were God's chosen people and that they had the revealed will of God in the law and that because they had God's law that they were going to get a pass on the day of judgment because they were privileged. They had a privileged status. Paul knew this way of thinking because it was the way that he thought when he was a Pharisee before his conversion. Now, Paul's pointing out that this boasting is not only prideful, it's also hypocritical and self-deceiving because the very law that the Jews boasted in is the very law that they had broken. I mean, the whole Old Testament bears witness to that. You see, it's one thing to have the truth, it's another thing to practice the truth. Now, I'm guessing that nobody here today is boasting in circumcision or keeping kosher food laws or observing Sabbath. Nobody here is likely boasting in Jewish heritage as you approach the day of judgment. But what else might you be boasting in? What do you place your confidence in as you approach the day of judgment? Is it Christ and Christ alone? Or maybe it's your moral performance or your status or your works or you think, God's just going to give me a pass because I'm better than most people. You might have pride or you might presume that you're going to get a pass on that day because, well, I've been a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate my whole life. I belong to a church with correct doctrine. I almost never miss church. I taught Sunday school for decades. I'm on the altar guild. I'm an elder. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. I come from a long line of Lutherans. I'm a pastor and I know God's Word. I read my Bible. I pray. I give a tithe. I've worked hard. I've lived clean 
my whole life and I'm better than most people. Some of you might be thinking that as you approach Judgment Day, and you might even be thinking it and you don't know you're thinking it. If you did some introspection and thought about it, you're like, that's what you're leaning on. You're leaning on that, even maybe just a little bit, like, yeah, maybe God's going to give me a pass because, I mean, I'm a pretty decent person, right? But when it comes to being justified, none of this means anything at all. If you approach the day of judgment thinking that God owes you anything or that you're better than others, then you're not only in a whole lot of trouble, but you also don't really understand what God's law is requiring of you. You've got a low view of the law. Simply put, God's law requires you to willingly love God with all of your heart and willingly love your neighbor as yourself all the time regardless of circumstances. So, for example, just avoiding literal physical adultery doesn't mean that you've kept the commandment against adultery because what the commandment is asking of you is that you would willingly avoid adultery in the heart and the mind as well and not regret it. To keep the commandment against stealing doesn't mean you just avoid the five-finger discount. It means that you don't even covet your neighbor's stuff, and you're completely content with what God has given you, and you don't complain about what you don't have. Now, we might look at that and say it's unreasonable or unattainable, but that's just what God originally created us to be before all sinned and fell short of His glory. The standard doesn't change just because we never reach it. Once again, Paul says in verse 13, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, with that in mind, let's now turn to Romans 3, 19 through 20. I don't want to steal Pastor Tim's thunder. He's going to be preaching on this in a couple weeks, but we got to go here. Romans 3. 19 through 20, let's read it together, and I want you to underline anytime you see that word law or justified, all right? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Do you see it? There's no boasting, right? We don't have any boasting by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 19. There's no boasting, there's just silence. Silence from the Jew who had the law written out and didn't keep it. Silence from the Gentile who had the law written on his heart and didn't keep it. There's nothing but silence. No boasting. Paul is showing us clearly that no one will be justified in God's sight by the law because the law doesn't justify anybody. The law accuses and condemns everyone. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is not the power of God for salvation, but rather it reveals, it diagnoses our condition, but it is not the cure. It shows us our sin, but it does not show us our Savior. You see, there's only one man who has ever kept the law of God perfectly and willingly completely. There's only one man who deserves to hear the verdict righteous, not guilty, on the basis of his works. 
Now, since chapter 1, verse 18, all the way until now, have you noticed that we haven't heard much about Jesus? We heard about him maybe just once in passing. But now in chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, Jesus is going to take center stage. So I'm going to go ahead and read these verses. And once again, I want you to pay attention as I read. Look for that word law and that word justified. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from what? The law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, this is the righteousness of God by which He makes us righteous in a righteous way. The righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, for all who believe, for all who have faith. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a, a sacrifice to take away sin by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. God didn't just sweep sin under the rug. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just or righteous and the justifier, the one who makes righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, that, that's the gospel right there. It's going to take the rest of Romans to pick that apart and see what that really means for you in your daily life. But that's the gospel. So here's briefly what Paul's saying. We're going to preach on this text in a couple of weeks, but here is what Paul is saying briefly. This one man, Jesus Christ, who kept the law of God perfectly in great love for you, steps forward to take your place. Jesus, the innocent law keeper, takes the place of you, the guilty law breaker, in the day of judgment. You see, it's on the cross of Christ that God holds court. The day of judgment takes place on that day in 33 AD. God declares His Son guilty upon the cross. That's what's going on. God's righteous wrath is poured out on sin in the body of His Son, and yet, here's the gospel, in the cross, God's righteous love is being poured out on you. And so, through faith, in the cross of Christ Jesus, you are declared not guilty, innocent, righteous. Not because of what you've done, but all because of what He's done. That'll blow your mind, right? Like, we might even be like, is that for me? Can I have that? Do I deserve this? No, you don't deserve it, but it's yours. Jesus insists on you having that righteousness because He even bled and died so you could have it, right? So what does this do to our pride and our boasting? What does it do to it? Blows it up, right? Look what Paul says in verse 27. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? What becomes of it? It is excluded. No boasting. The only thing we'll boast in is the cross of Christ and the great love of God that declared us righteous. The cross of Christ lowers our pride and it lifts us up at the same time. 
And so now you and I are free to boast in Christ. We can boast, but we don't boast in the law or ourselves or our accomplishments. We boast in Christ. And so now through faith in Him, we are confident and free as we await the day of God's judgment. Because for the Christian, that judgment already took place. And we've been declared not guilty. Court's been held, and those who are in Christ are safe and free. So to conclude, what do we do with the law? Do we just get rid of it because it doesn't justify us? No, 